Well, it's my privilege this afternoon to, um, to share with you God's Word and what He's revealed to me in the preparation of it. And we're in a, a short series of three where we're looking at uh, what God says about money. And last week, Peter preached from part of a sermon that Jesus delivered uh, that is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And this teaching, the teaching that Jesus put forward in the Sermon on the Mount, was, was radical. It was, it was revolutionary. And let me challenge you this morning, it, this afternoon even, just go home and just read Matthew chapter 5 through to 7. And you'll think, oh, this is so familiar. But the more you read it, the more you realize how, how, how radical Jesus was in the things that he said. You know, he, he talked about subjects that people thought, yeah, I know about that. But as Jesus spoke, they thought, huh, I've never heard somebody talk about anger like that or adultery or divorce or, or revenge. So when Jesus comes to chapter 6, which is where we got to last week, the subject of money, Jesus is no less radical in what he says. Giving, Jesus says, is something that should be done quietly. You don't announce your giving with trumpets, and I like the term Peter used, cardboard checks. Jesus didn't quite use that, but I know what he means. Big cardboard checks saying, look at the giving that I'm doing. No, it should be done quietly. And if we do it the right way, with the right motivation, we're told that the Father who sees everything will reward you. And there were lots of references last week, I noticed, and in Life Group this week, to rewards. You know, it's... It's almost as if, as if God wants to reward us. You kind of pick that up. He delights to reward us. He can't wait to reward us. And that's a theme which comes through very loudly uh, today as, as much as it did last week. So we're going to continue today to consider the theme of money. And sometimes, you know, talking about money, it can be difficult. Now, please don't sit there and think, oh, no, here we go. He's going to make us feel guilty. He's going to say that we should be putting more in the offering. We need to be... No, no, I'm not. I'm not going to do that. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to teach, teach, preach you what Jesus says about money. And then we'll leave the work to the Holy Spirit to, to, to change our hearts and our lives and this, this incredible subject of money. So we're going to read together. And I've asked Carrie if she'll do that. Um, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6 and verses 19 to 24. If you've got one of these Bibles, if you turn to page 811, and we're starting halfway down on the right-hand side, and you can have a microphone. Carrie, you don't need a microphone. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so uh, lay up the treasures in heaven. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and dust, uh, sorry, moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moths nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eye is the lamp of your body. So if your eye is healthy, and your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now can oh, no one can say, sorry, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Thank you very much. That was great. 
So they're the verses that we're going to consider together this afternoon. So what Jesus is doing here is addressing believers about the proper relationship that we should have with money and possessions. He speaks of two treasuries, he speaks of two perspectives, and he speaks of two masters. And each pair demands a choice. And if we don't take the positive choice, we will by default take the wrong choice. So let's just have an open forum here. Jesus is talking about treasure. What is treasure? Please just shout out. Let's establish what treasure is. Gold. Gold. Absolutely. Yeah, gold. Anything else? What else? What is treasure? What do you perceive as being treasure? Pardon? What's, yeah. So what is most important to you? Oh, the answer is always Jesus, yeah. <laughs> but what, what else would we consider as treasure? Come on, you can say money, that's fine. Pardon? Yeah? Your house, yes. Your car, yes. What, even your car? <laughs> Somebody said gold. Yeah, it's treasure. These are all things. Go on, sorry. Yes, relationships, treasure, yeah. So we're talking about treasure, but I want to be quite specific here. Jesus is talking about money, money and possessions. So that's what we're going to focus on from verse 19. He's clearly referring to money and possessions, and he tells us clearly what happens to treasure that's accumulated here on earth. He says that moth and rust will destroy, and he says that thieves will break in and steal. You kind of get the feeling that treasure here on earth, isn't that safe? You've got people who want to take it. You've got moths and rust that want to destroy it. However, when money and possessions are spent on heavenly treasure, the investment takes on an eternal value. So Jesus invites us to choose which treasury, earthly, where they're at risk, and ultimately we'll lose them, or heavenly where they will last forever. He's asking us to choose which treasury we're going to invest in. So when you read these verses, it's so easy to conclude initially that it's wrong to store up treasure. You see the negative and you don't see the positive. But Jesus doesn't say, don't amass treasure. He actually says, do amass treasure. It's a good thing to amass treasure. But what he also says is, make sure you store it in the right place, not the wrong place. Amassing material wealth isn't morally wrong. It isn't wrong to amass material wealth. It's just a very poor investment. You regularly hear of people who make the wrong investment. Can you, you've heard the stories, haven't you? I put all my life savings into and I lost the lot. You, hear, you feel sorry for people like that, don't you? But it's often inevitable that poor investments are made. But, you know, even if investments escape moths and rust and thieves, they won't escape the coming fire that's going to end this world. All these possessions and wealth will be ultimately destroyed. Even the best of earthly investments are temporary. There was a great preacher in the 18th century called John Wesley, and he said, I value all things by the price that they shall gain in eternity. And David Livingstone, who was a missionary in Africa around the same time, he said, I place no value on anything that I possess 
except in relation to the kingdom of God. Sounds like those guys had got it right. These men and many others lived as they did, not because they treasured no things, but because they treasured the right things. And Jesus' position on wealth accumulation wasn't rejection. He actually said, pursue it. Do seek wealth accumulation. But what did Jesus encourage investors to pursue? He actually said, I want you to pursue true wealth. Wealth which will last. Wealth which is worth pursuing. A little later in Jesus' ministry, we see it in Matthew 13, Jesus described what happened when a man discovered true wealth. It said, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure that's hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and he what? He sold everything that he had and he bought that field. Now, why did he do that? Why did he sell everything he had? Because that man had found real treasure. Until he found that treasure, he thought that the things he had were treasure. He thought they were valuable. But then he discovered the treasure in the field. And the things that he had became of little value when compared to the treasure that he'd found. So he sold everything and he bought the field. For him, it was a no-brainer. It was just the obvious thing to do. As one of, somebody has already said here, the greatest treasure that we can have, you know, we're saying what is treasure? The greatest treasure without question that we can have is to gain Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said this in one of his letters. Yes, everything is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have disregarded everything else. I count it as garbage so that I can gain Christ and become one with him. So he's, he's defined true treasure. But, you know, part of gaining Christ is also looking forward to the rewards which he has promised that he'll give us, which is Christ's stamp of approval on a faithfully lived life. It certainly motivated the Apostle Paul in his ministry. He said, and these are familiar words, he said, I've fought the fight, I've finished the race, and I have remained faithful, and now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness. He was motivated by the prize, by the reward that he would receive for a faithful life, which is part of having Christ the greatest treasure. So Jesus is instructing us to invest in the right place. He, he gives us an opportunity to trade temporary goods and money for eternal rewards. So by investing our money and our possessions in his treasury, whilst we're here on earth, if we do this, we assure ourselves of eternal rewards. Now, we can find that hard to grasp, hard to understand now. We can trade temporal possessions we can't keep to gain eternal possessions that we can't lose. Hmm. What we keep, we will ultimately lose. What we give and what we share in Christ's name for his kingdom will ultimately come back to us in heaven forever. Whatever treasure we store up on earth will be left behind when we leave. Whatever treasure we store up in heaven will be waiting for us when we get there. Notice again, 
the main focus of these verses that we're looking at, verse, uh, verses 19 and 20, it is Jesus' encouragement to us to accumulate, to store up treasure, heavenly treasure. It is not to avoid storing up treasure. We're to avoid storing up treasure on earth, not as a negative thing to do, but so that we can lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. It is possible to give up on all earthly treasures. Some people take it negatively. That's it, treasure. No, it's wrong. Can't have it. It's, it's wrong to have possessions. It's wrong to have anything like that. And miss out on the opportunity to invest in the heavenly treasury. But when Jesus warns us not to store up treasures on earth, it's not just because wealth might be lost. It's because wealth definitely will be lost, either when we're alive or when we die. You know the verse in the Old Testament that says, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will return. As a man comes, so he departs. He can take nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. In 1922, all the treasures of King Tutankhamun were discovered by Howard, forgotten his surname, in um, Egypt. Incredible find. When they went down those steps, they went into those chambers and, ah, the treasures that were in there. Those treasures were there for what? They were to help King Tutankhamun in his afterlife. They kind of got it wrong, didn't they? Because they were still there. In fact, they're in the Cairo Museum now. They were all set aside for King Tut, but he didn't need them. He didn't use them. He couldn't use them. As a man comes from the womb, so he departs. Naked I came, naked I go. You can't take anything with you. So we said that Jesus' teaching was radical. And, And how much more radical can it get? In effect, Jesus is saying, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Wow. That, that, that's, that's worth pondering. That's worth thinking about. And here's how you do this. You take the treasures that you could have stored here on earth, only to lose them or leave them, and instead you store them up in heaven where they'll remain for all eternity. You know, people are always looking for safe places to put their money. Did you notice in recent days in this country, with all the turmoil that we've had with Brexit and all of that, Where have people suddenly taken their money because they're concerned about their investments and they've put it into gold? In times of trouble, everybody reverts to gold. They think it's the thing that's going to last forever. Gold prices have rocketed. So if you've invested in gold, then you've got a short-term gain. So in times of certainty, people go to gold. But you know, there is only one certain place, one secure place where we can invest, and that is in the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is saying. By wisely and generously using our earthly resources, which may mean in some instances foregoing the pleasures of this life, it may mean that we can lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to Timothy and he said this to him. He said, teach those who are rich to use their money for good, to be rich in good works And generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. And then he adds this. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future. So that they may experience true life. So it's there. Later on in the New Testament. By doing this, 
by doing good works, by using your money to help those who are in need, to help those who need it, you lay up for yourselves, you store up treasure as a good foundation for the future. So God has opened an account for you, for me, for each one of us. And it's in heaven. Every gift that we give for his glory is a deposit in that account. The account belongs to you, 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 you. It belongs to me. The account is in our name. Because Jesus says, lay up for yourselves. He he doesn't say lay up for somebody else or lay up for me. He says lay up for yourselves. Store your treasure. Is it true? Yeah, Jesus said it. We often miss it. But that sounds selfish. No, it isn't selfish. God commands and he expects us as we understand this truth, to act out of an enlightened self-interest. So our acts of generosity, there is a beneficiary from their generosity. If you do an act of kindness towards somebody, they benefit, they receive that goodness from you. You store up treasure in heaven for yourself and God is glorified. It isn't one or the other, it's all three. Every act of generosity has a, somebody who benefits from it. You benefit from it because you're investing in heaven and the Lord is glorified. That's not selfish. That's God's kind of giving. So, have you got the picture? Have you got what Jesus is saying? Use your earthly treasure, that is your money, your possessions, to invest in God's kingdom by giving to those in need and providing for others. And in so doing, you'll be storing up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Then Jesus says something significant about the treasure in heaven. He says that moths and rusts will have no effect on them. That thieves cannot break in and steal. They can't destroy it. They can't take it away. So to contrast treasures on earth with treasures in heaven, one investment is at risk of rotting away or being stolen. The other is absolutely safe and secure. And it does prompt the question, where on earth can you get an investment like that? Well, you can't, because it's in heaven. And Jesus makes that very clear. But there is something else that I want to mention about treasures which are stored in heaven. And although it's not mentioned specifically in our text, there is a parallel passage in Luke where Jesus is talking about money and possessions. And the words are very familiar. He says this, Sell your possessions, give to those in need, This will store up for you treasure in heaven. Sounds the same. And then he says this, And the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it and no moth can destroy it. That's a significant addition to the quality of treasure in heaven. It won't wear out. It won't be exhausted. Not only is heavenly treasure safe and indestructible, It's also inexhaustible. It lasts forever. We can use this treasure that we have in heaven again and again and again and forever. It's inexhaustible treasure. Let me just give you a little illustration to try and make this point. The the little boy gives a little girl a drink of water. And his mum sees him do that. She says, Johnny, you've been such a good little boy. I'm going to bake you a cake. Or perhaps the boy should be called Mike, I'm not sure. But I'm going to bake you a cake. (laughs) And he says, oh, mom, that's really kind. Thank you so much. He gets the cake and he eats it. It's gone. But he's had that reward. However, that 
cup of water was seen by Jesus too. And when he gets to heaven, he has a reward for that gift, for that little act of kindness that will last forever and ever and ever. It's a reward, but it lasts forever. It's not eaten and gone, but goes on and on and on. In heaven, we can enjoy and we can use the rewards which our Heavenly Father gives us, whatever they may be, without ever exhausting them, because they're inexhaustible. That's an incredible thing to think about. So eternal rewards are not just rewards we receive in eternity, but rewards that in themselves are eternal, inexhaustible, and will last forever. Do you know, in these days we have many people called financial advisors, and part of their job is to give sound, objective advice as to where the best place to invest our money is. They can read the signs of the stock market. They can tell when it's going to have a downturn or an upturn. And they can say, invest in this stock or invest in that stock. They've had a torrid time of late. It's been very, very difficult to predict anything that's going to be happening because of the great uncertainty. But you know, Jesus is the greatest financial advisor of all time. His advice isn't speculative. He's not guessing when he tells us to invest in eternity. It's absolutely certain. The currency of this world will be worthless at our death or when Christ returns, both of which are imminent. Transfer your funds to the treasury of heaven where the investments are solid, secure, and inexhaustible. Then Jesus moves on in verse 21 and says this, that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what we do with our possessions is a sure indicator of where our hearts are or what's in our hearts. So if you were to sit down with your bank statement and your credit card statement, if you've got one, or your checkbook stub, if you've got one, and all the till receipts that are in your pocket or your purse or in your car, and you analysed, where do I spend? What's important to me? It'll give a good indicator of where your heart is, where my heart is. But, you know, what we do with our money doesn't just show where our hearts are. According to Jesus, it determines where our hearts go. So if you want more of a heart for mission, why not put your money into mission and your heart will follow? If you're going to support disadvantaged children in India, if there's an article in the newspaper about India, you're there. You want to know because you're investing in it. You're hooked. You want to know because you've invested your money there. However, if your money is in shares or pensions or ices or property or your hobby, well, Jesus says that's where your heart's going to be. Your heart will be where your treasure is. There will your heart be also. If your treasure's in heaven, your heart's going to be in heaven. The next two verses, 22 and 23... Jesus talks about good eyes and bad eyes, lamps, lights, and darkness. And what Jesus is talking about here is our perspective on life. The way that we look at life, the way we understand it, and the actions we take based on our perspective. Unbelievers look at life as something that begins at birth and ends in death. And when you consider the future... They look no further than their own life. Without an internal perspective, the decisions that you make are going to be the wrong decisions. 
if you're just basing all the decisions you take on the life that we have here. If this life is all there is, why should I deny myself any pleasure that I like or any possession that I want? It's a good question. It's a right question. If life, if this is all there is, then you're absolutely right to take that approach to life. But those who believe in Jesus have a different perspective. It's called an eternal perspective. This life that we have is just the preface, the beginning for something that's much longer. And I'm going to just give you an illustration now. It's a, it's a physical illustration. And it's one that I found really helpful. And I have seen it done somewhere else. But I'm just going to... Where's Olivia? This rope represents your life. You take that end yeah, and go for a walk. Now, it's quite a long rope. It's only part of the whole rope. The, the, the rest of it, there's so much more. But I just wanted to... This represents your life. You know, so from the moment that you're conceived to the nine months that you spend in the womb to the day that you're born as a baby, you become a child. You become an adult. All represented... I knew I'd get a knot in it somewhere. All represented by the rope. It's, it's long, isn't it? And it's much longer. This is only part of it. But the thing about this rope is that the bit that I've just talked to you about, from conception to the moment that you die, is represented by the white bit. Oh, there's the white bit. Okay. How long term are you thinking? This is our life. This is the bit that we know now. It's short, isn't it, in com- when you compare it with all of this. What are you living for? Jesus says, if the light that you have in your eyes is actually darkness, how, how, how much is that darkness? Do you get the idea? I'm trying to help us to expand our minds that there's far more to life. We, when a financial investor talks to you about a long-term investment, ask him about a million years. See what he says to that. He might say 30 years is a long time. But this, this is eternity. We, we are eternal creatures. I hope you found that helpful. Are you short-term or are you long-term? Do you know, we'll all part with our money. The only question is when. At death, you've got no choice. I just remember years ago when one of the Rockefellers died. Somebody said, how much did he leave? All of it. We will all leave everything that we have at the moment we die. And you have no choice in that. But now, whilst we are alive, we do have a choice of whether we part with our money or not. We can choose to invest wisely in the kingdom. We can keep earthly treasures for a moment. And yeah, we can get some enjoyment from them. There's no question about that. You can indulge yourself and we can enjoy earthly treasures for us. But if we give it away and we invest in heaven's treasury, we'll be enjoying eternal treasures that can never be taken from us. You know, Jesus doesn't pull his punches when he says that we only live for this life. If we only live for this life, we are foolish. He even says we're stupid if you're only living for this life. Jim Elliot, who was a a missionary in Cornwall, said he is no fool to give what he can't keep, to gain what he can't lose. 
He is no fool to give what you can't keep, to gain what you can't lose. He was right online with Matthew chapter 6. So it's all about the perspective we hold. And you know, as believers, our view of reality, it should be radically different to the world in which we live. We should live differently because we see differently. And Jesus says, if the light you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. I just want to give you an illustration that, that I have found helpful about just a simple way in which we can use our money for the kingdom's sake. You can imagine you're in a, in a missionary meeting and the guy at the front is a missionary from Malawi in Central Africa and he's talking to you and just saying he's got such a heart for these people and, and he, he cannot wait to get God's word to them. And he said, I want to take Bibles to these people because they need to hear about Jesus. And he said, I'm going to, at the end of this meeting, I'm going to put a box by the door. And, and, and if you can put some money in there, that would be fantastic because it'll enable me. I'm going tomorrow. I'm going, to, I'm going to take the money that you put in that box tomorrow. I'm going to buy Bibles. And I'm going to take them to Malawi. And you're sat there thinking, oh, I haven't had tea tonight. I was going to go to McDonald's on the way home. I've, I've got a fiver in my pocket. And you've got a real struggle. And we often have a struggle like this, don't we? But, you know, in the end, you decide, no, 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 I'm, I'm convinced by that man. He's, he's really given me a passion for the people of Malawi. I'm going to put my fiver in that box. And you do. And you get home and you're really hungry and you start to regret doing it. But you did it. Now, let's, let's, let's fast forward 20, 30, 40, 50 years. You, you've passed away. You're, you're now in heaven. And one day in heaven, a man comes up to you. I have, I've missed a bit out here. Hold on. That, that, that money goes with the missionary to Africa and he buys Bibles and he takes them and he gives them to a little boy called Akparib. And Akparib gets the Bible and, you know, he reads it and he's, he's, he can't believe he's, he's reading about Jesus, about loving. And the spirit works in this little boy's heart and he, be, he becomes a Christian. He trusts the Savior because he's got a Bible that you funded and then he's so enthusiastic, he goes all around his village and he tells everyone about Jesus. Do the whole village become Christians? And then they in turn are so enthused by the message of the gospel that they go out and they tell, and there's a bit of a revival around central Malawi. Now let's fast forward 50 years. You've, you've passed away, you're in heaven. One day somebody comes up to you and says, are you that man that put five pounds in the offering? I'm Akbarib. And he puts his arms around and he hugs you and he says, thank you so much for doing what you've done. Because you gave that money, I got a Bible, I came to trust the Savior. You start to see what eternal rewards are. I'm not saying that's what they are exclusively, but that is just one little example of us investing a five pound note that has an eternal consequence. Let me give you another illustration. And I, I find this quite moving. So if my voice goes a bit trembly when we've watched it, You'll understand why. But the, there's, there's a chap in England in 1938 called Nicholas Winton. He was a stockbroker. And he had just booked himself a skiing holiday in Switzerland. And he was about to go, and he got a message from his friend David, somebody. And David said to him, Nicholas, come out to Prague. I need you to be here in Prague with me. And he went out, and he was horrified by what he saw and it was just before the war 
And what was happening is that the Germans were in Czechoslovakia and they had started to persecute the Jews. And they were destroying Jewish businesses, they were putting Jewish people in prison and everything. And Nicholas Winton was gripped. He, I think he had Jewish background as well. But he started to collect children, Jewish children, and send them back to England. And he did that with his own money. And he did it... And when they came back to England, he had to arrange for foster homes for all these kids. And between March 1939 and August 1939, he arranged for 669 children to be sent back to England to avoid being caught by the Germans and sent away to concentration camps. His greatest regret was that the last train that he arranged was actually commandeered by the Germans and they took 250 children away. But 669 children were saved and they found homes in England where they grew up. 50 years later, so this is 1988, Um, Nicholas Winton's wife went up into the loft and she found a box. And she opened the box and in that box were the details of all the children, the train journeys, all the logistics that he had to sort out. He hadn't told anybody what he'd done. Nothing. Mr. Winton's wife took this and gave it to the BBC. The BBC happened to have a program running at the time with Esther Ranson. And she made a program of this And it came to the point, well, if you show the video now, so that's the background to this. All the letters. Back here is the list of all the children. This is Vera Diamant, now Vera Gissing. We did find her name on his list. Vera Gissing is with us here tonight. Hello, Vera. And uh, I should tell you that you are actually sitting next to Nicholas Winton. Hello. (laughs) And it was just so wonderful, so terribly, terribly touching. Can I ask, is there anyone in our audience tonight who owes their life to Nicholas Winton? If so, could you stand up, please? I find that really powerful. And the reason I show it to you is the strength of those emotions. And all he has done, he has saved 669 children from the Germans to live here in this life. We have the opportunity to do that for eternity. 
by investing in heaven. Interestingly, he, he only died one year ago, 1st of July 2015, aged 106. He was knighted by the Queen in 2003. He was given the freedom of the City of London in 2015. And he was also given the Order of the White Lion, which is the highest award that Czechoslovakia can award anybody. He was given that by the President of Czechoslovakia in 2014. You know, we're talking about rewards. We're talking about eternity. And, and we see the significance, the power of it on a human level in a short lifespan. We need to have that eternal perspective. We need to have good eyes. We need to see what Jesus is talking about. So don't have regrets about wishing we'd done more on earth. I say do it now. That's what Jesus is calling us to do. The money that God entrusts to each one of us. And please don't think you've got to have massive resources to give to the kingdom of God. Peter was absolutely clear last week. It's the generous who are generous. It's not the rich who are generous. In fact, it's usually the rich who are not generous. It's the generous who are generous. So we can all be generous with whatever we have. Every day is an opportunity for us to buy shares in his kingdom. The last verse, which is verse 24, talks about two masters and the fact that we can't serve both. We'll love one and hate the other or we'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And then makes it very clear. Jesus says, you can't serve both God and money. Some relationships, by their very nature, are exclusive. You know, I, I look around this room and I, and I have a, a relationship at different levels with, with everybody in this room. And that's great to have lots of relationships. However, there's one relationship in this room which is absolutely exclusive. And that's with my wife. And she was smiling. But it is. It's an exclusive relationship. And our relationship with God is absolutely exclusive. There's a throne in our lives that's big enough for one. Christ may be on the throne. Money may be on the throne. But both cannot occupy that throne. Money is a false God. But it seems it is the single most pursued commodity in this world. Money is a God substitute. It's a false Messiah. You can't serve God and money. So are you investing in the right treasury? Are you adopting the right perspective? Are you serving the right master? I'd just like to, to finish with a, a quotation. And I have to admit that I have um, relied heavily on the writings of Randy Alcorn for, for what I've said today. Not exclusively, but heavily. And he finishes off with a, just a, a quick paragraph which kind of encapsulates and challenges us as to which treasury we're investing in. And he says this, that Jesus gives us a choice. A life wasted in the pursuit of wealth on earth or a life invested in the pursuit of wealth in heaven. Every heartbeat brings us one moment closer to eternity. Every day, the person whose treasure is on earth is headed away from his treasure. Every day, the person whose treasure is in heaven is headed towards his treasure. Whoever spends his life heading away from his treasure has reason to despair. Whoever spends his life headed towards his treasure has reason to rejoice. So where is your treasure? Are you heading towards it or away from it? 
Do you have reason to despair or reason to rejoice? Isn't it time to start relocating your treasure? Amen.